Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Well, this morning, I had a message that I was going to call spiritual health, but I think I'm going to call it overhaul now. Because that's essentially the same thing that I'm talking about. There's moments when sometimes you've got to take a look at your own spiritual health and realize maybe it's time for an overhaul. Maybe there is, it's time for me to do something different to the way that I've done it before. You know, I guess I haven't in a long time, but most normal people go to the doctor for a checkup every now and then. Because sometimes you might feel okay, but I just want to go make sure that everything is okay. And so maybe I'll get a blood test or a stress test, or I'm now 50, so apparently there's another test that I need to get sometime soon that I'm just going to believe God for divine health. And <laughs> but sometimes every now and then you just want to check in and go, am I actually healthy? Because sometimes you can feel like you're okay, but not realize that maybe something that's not healthy, that's not right, and it needs to change. Or sometimes you just get so used to being unhealthy, you forgot what healthy feels like. Well, I actually want to help us here a little bit this morning and have a look at overhauling our, our spiritual health. I have a 10-point message. Anybody ready for a 10-point message? How many of you are going to set the timer on the first two and go, man, that took 20 minutes. These other eight, they better... I'm usually not a point person, but often these things begin with a question for me. So these questions for me was, what does spiritual health actually look like? How do I know if I'm healthy? And how do I maintain my spiritual health without becoming legalistic about it? You know, in your physical health, sometimes you decide you want to make a change. Maybe you want to lose weight. Maybe you want to get in shape. Maybe you want to do a combination of both. And then you get those people that want to give you all their stuff of what they do. And it's like, well, you can never eat chocolate again. I'm out. You can never eat red meat again. You can never eat dairy. I was fine until somebody said, to, I was like, I think I might try vegan for a while. And they said, no dairy. I said, I'm out. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anything that says no cheese, I'm, I'll just tell you right now, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. That's what I mean. Sometimes it's like, well, if you want to get spiritually healthy, you got to pray six hours a day. If you don't, what are you doing? I went and visited Yongi Cho's church in South Korea several years ago. It's the largest church in the world. He had a million people in his church. And the church, one of the, the foundational principles was, was prayer. And so they had a place called Prayer Mountain, which was kind of like a retreat. But inside the mountain, they had cut out these, these grottos, they called them, which was basically like a little tiny cave, just big enough for, for most Koreans, I guess, to get on their knees... <laughs> to get on their knees and, and crawl into this space and like close this door behind you. It looked like a, like a POW type Vietnam era thing. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but people would literally crawl into the mountain and they would pray for hours and hours and hours. And so when I was there, I kept getting asked the question by these Koreans, how long do you pray? And I'm like, uh, an hour? 
And their look at me was not a look of legalism. It was a look of shock. An hour a day? And I'm like, yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? And like, and I, well, how much do you pray? And they're like, it's not important. You know, and they're like, if I pray less than six hours a day, I feel like I haven't met with God. And so they developed this mindset that you got to pray for this amount of time in this specific way, or you're really no good in the kingdom. And I realized I, I don't want to approach spiritual health with a legalistic way of somehow being on the clock with Jesus. All right, God, I'm going to give you that hour, and then I'm good. Now, I think there is something important about us being able to persevere in prayer. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to develop a spiritual health and spiritual disciplines without becoming legalistic about it, where it doesn't just become a list of rules, but it becomes like a relationship. It's, it's like in a marriage. When I'm, when I'm married, I am married. Um, <laughs> when, when, when you're married, it's not like I go, all right, I got to get one hour of chores for Rummy and then one hour of date time. And then maybe if we got, you know what I mean? It's not like I'm getting legalistic about it. I just want to spend time with her, especially when she's been building out a website for two straight weeks and I haven't seen her. I really want to spend time with her. I, I don't care what we do. I just, it's the relationship. So a lot of our spiritual health is kind of built on that same principle. So I'm going to give you maybe 10 things today. We'll see how far we get. But I want you to understand that you can become healthy in your spirit without crossing over into just a bunch of rules and regulations. And I think sometimes when people have been a part of the legalistic way of doing things where it's all about the law and the rules and the you got to do this and you got to do that, then when they realize that's not the way to do it, they go so far from it that now they don't even have any intimacy. See, the rules and regulations didn't bring intimacy, but now they've run out of the relationship because the only level of relationship they understood were rules. And I want to see us go from running away from rules to pulling back into the intimacy with Jesus, but without all of the rules. Who would guess who's the rule follower in our marriage? How many of you think I'm the rule follower? How many of you think Romy's the rule follower? How many of you think neither one of us are rule followers? How many wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I asked? I'm not going to tell you which is which. First thing, I actually find this first point a, a bit of a tragedy, and that's that I can be doing a lot of ministry and still not be spiritually healthy. I can be performing signs, wonders, and miracles and still not be spiritually healthy. Does that surprise you? Because when God gives his gifts, he gives them without repentance. It means that I can still pray for people and see their leg grow out and be dying on the inside. It's one of the biggest tragedies of the kingdom I think I've ever seen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. You knew that somehow sports was going to come into this, right? And competitiveness. Everyone who goes into the games goes into strict training. 
They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What's Paul saying? Paul is not concerned that his preaching won't be good enough. Paul's not concerned that people aren't going to get healed in his ministry or that demons won't flee when he mentions the name of Jesus. That's not his concern. Paul's concern is that after he's done ministry, that he himself might be disqualified. Does that not line up in your brain somehow? Well, surely if there's miracles happening in your ministry, then you must be good with God, right? Surely if signs and wonders happen every time you show up, surely that means that you are living a life that honors God, right? Not necessarily the case. If the Apostle Paul is concerned about his own spiritual welfare after he has preached, then I think maybe we can learn something from this as well. After I have preached. There's so many great revivalists in history. And I love reading about them. Especially, you know, the, the Great Awakening that happened. And then the second great awakening that happened through Finney's ministry in America. And some of these awakenings were so powerful in a time when the world really hadn't seen that kind of miracle. And then you come into the 20th century and you have the great healing evangelists that would come. And you see some of the most incredible miracles. Some of them are still documented on video now. But so many of these people ended their lives poorly. So many of them performed. I mean, there was, I won't mention their names, but so accurate words of knowledge. People are like, like calling out people's addresses, their dog's name, everything about their life. They moved in the spirit so powerfully. And one after another, people just got healed and healed and healed and healed and healed. But they ended their lives dying of alcoholism, cirrhosis of the liver. How does that happen? There wasn't just a one-off bad moment. That's a lifestyle of having preached, seeing miracles happen, and then going back to your hotel room and getting drunk. I would imagine some of it meant they were preaching and doing those things while they were drunk. How do we end up with so many of these great leaders that have moral failings through sexual immorality? How many more do we have to experience before we realize it's not about the anointing that's on you, it's about the anointing that's in you. I could have an anointing on me for ministry, but have no anointing in me to live the life that God's called me to live, of purity, and not just of power. Paul's concerned that after I have preached, I want to make sure I don't disqualify myself. Guess that's why I want to talk to you about this, because I know that we have already begun to experience and will experience so much more the power of the Holy Spirit in our city, in a city that's been transformed, not because we held a meeting and invited people here, but because you 
and me have gone out with the power of the Holy Spirit and seen the dead raised, seen lives saved, seen people delivered. The fear that came over the last few years, that spirit of fear that has infected people and gotten a stranglehold on their hearts is leaving. It's not just leaving the area. It leaves when we as the sons and daughters of God are able to walk in deliverance ministry and see people delivered of what they thought was just anxiety, what they thought was circumstances, but no, it was a spirit that's gripped them. But when they get set free, I want to make sure that I don't get disqualified in the process. I think some of these great evangelists had the mindset that as long as I'm able to perform under the anointing that's on me, then everything else is okay. As if the miracle was a way of condoning their lifestyle. But it didn't. Now, I say that as a warning, but I don't want you to have the wrong thoughts in this of, well, then I'll just avoid ministry. Because often... If you are performing signs, wonders, and miracles, Jesus is doing them. You understand what I'm saying here. And with that comes all kinds of temptation. You know, the three G's, the gold, the glory, and the girls for guys, or gold, glory, and guys if you're a girl, I guess. The three temptations. Well, then I just don't want to move in power because I don't want to have that happen to me. Well, it didn't happen to them because of the temptation. It happened to them because they didn't understand that just because you are Doing things for God doesn't mean that the inside of you is healthy. Make sense? But still go make disciples. Right? We're still to go out. The ministry is not just here. The ministry is also to go out and do. Okay. Which brings me to my second point. Please don't keep time with the first point because the others won't be this long. I promise you will get lunch sometime today. (laughs) Number two. What you allow into your heart matters. It matters. Romy and I were having a conversation with somebody this week, and she was telling them about how the eyes are the windows of the soul. And Jesus said, if darkness goes into your eyes, then your whole body is full of darkness. If light comes into your eyes, your whole body is full of light. What you allow into your heart, sometimes through your eyes, sometimes through your ears, it matters. It matters. Now, again, I don't want to become legalistic about this, but I'm shocked sometimes how I see pastors who are enamored with horror movies. I'm like, I don't understand. How do you think you can watch that as entertainment and not have it get into your heart? Do you understand that what you look at gets into your heart? What you dabble in takes root. You can't separate those two things. And you can put in there whatever you want. Again, I don't want to be legalistic about it. But I think the attitude is, when you get really good at this preaching thing, when you get really good at communicating and you see the power of God and people set free, it's almost like you feel like, I am strong enough to be able to watch something and have it not affect me. I have heard so many young preachers say things like this. And you get into circles of other young dynamic preachers. And a guy like Alex, who just wants to serve God with all of his life, 
will sometimes find, he hasn't, but I'm saying I've seen where they find themselves in green rooms of people that are a little bit past where they are, or, and they're like leading very immoral lifestyles. But they're still moving in power from the pulpit. And what happens is you buy into that and think, well, I guess that's what you do when you get anointed. You're anointed enough that you can go have sex outside of marriage and it doesn't affect you. You can be anointed enough that you can get high and it doesn't affect you. It does. Now, you're hearing me say that and you're going, well, that's ridiculous. I'm sure they thought that at some point in time too. But somewhere along the lines, a compromise here, a compromise there. And suddenly you realize, wait a minute, I just had sex outside of marriage, got in the pulpit the next week, and God still showed up. But don't condone, sorry, don't mistake delayed wrath for condonement. Just because you didn't suffer the consequences of your sin then doesn't mean that God thought it was okay. What you allow into your heart matters. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I read this a couple of weeks ago, Luke 23.34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Jesus is warning us, don't let your hearts get weighed down. You know, in the days of Noah, in Genesis chapter 6, it said the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Paul even warns us about Christians that have an unrepentant heart. This is the stored up part, Romans chapter 2. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Imagine that, storing up wrath for yourself. What you thought you were getting away with was just being stored up as wrath. Why would you do that? You know what repentance does? Repentance doesn't mean to just change your behavior. It's to change the way you think. And whatever was stored up before, God just goes whoosh and washes that slate clean. God has no desire to punish you. God has no desire to send anybody to hell. But when you continue in things that are creating unhealth in your own heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself. And don't mistake delayed wrath for condonement. Sin is still sin. Its wages are still death. So... That's pre-flood, right? Because that's when God sent the flood. But contrast that with the Spirit-filled New Testament church in 1 Thessalonians. This is Paul's prayer for the church. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May He strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Like, make your love increase. That's Paul's prayer. So where sin took up residence in your heart, Paul's saying, no, 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 make his love increase. Make God strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy. That's his desire for us. 
That's the crown. It's the crown of righteousness that God gives to us. It's not the crown of doing great things for Jesus. It's the crown that my heart has been fully surrendered to you. And I'm holy and blameless because you've done the work in my heart so that I can be presented as holy and blameless. I've let you into every area of my heart. There's not one part that you don't see, that you don't clean, that you don't purify and then empower. We're going to do a lot of Bible here. I hope you're okay. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, Redskins fans, and folly. (laughs) Commanders. Sorry, commanders. Commanders. Just making sure you're listening. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. They come from inside. They come from inside. You got to know that eventually what's in you will come out. I say that as both a warning and an encouragement. Because when you allow God to do the process of cleaning you out from the inside, then what He deposits in you begins to come out. And it's beautiful. That's the love. You're able to love others out of the love that you've received into your own heart. When you begin to examine your heart, it's inevitable that at some point you're going to find some things that you don't like. Some of those things you didn't put there. It's actually not your fault. And although I'm not always responsible for what got into my heart, I am responsible for what I do with it. It's really hard sometimes as a pastor to tell a rape victim, you need to forgive your rapist. That's a hard thing to say. There's no other way for them to get free and to get the brutal thing that happened to them out of their heart. I didn't say they had to be reconciled to the rapist. I didn't say that what the rapist did was okay. Nor did I say you shouldn't prosecute the rapist. Do all of that. But you also have to forgive. It's not your fault that thing got in your heart. But it is your responsibility for what you do with it. It might be a difficult thing to have to tell someone until you've understood the power of forgiveness in your own heart. So it's not, you need to forgive. It's, hey, you need to forgive because the freedom that's going to come from this, no one will have ever known that it's even happened to you. Because forgiveness frees you from the offense. And you can walk in freedom when you choose to do that. I'm not responsible for what's in my heart, but I am responsible for what I do with it. Okay, number three, I'm totally out of order, so we'll figure out where I'm at. In order to stay spiritually healthy, you've got to go to church regularly. <laughs> Simple, right? Going to church doesn't make you healthy, but in order to be healthy, you actually need to be a part of a local body of believers. But can I just, the mountains are my church. That's great. Show me chapter and verse for that one. That'd be interesting. 
you actually need to be a part of a family, of a local body of believers. You actually need to be connected not just to God, but with other people. In Psalm 102, verse 21, it says, So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples of the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. Yes, David worshiped God on the side of a mountain while he was looking after his father's sheep. Yes, Jesus went alone to pray. But they assembled. When they assemble, the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion. We're here not just singing worship songs because of what they do to us and what they makes it, how they make us feel. We are declaring his righteousness and his goodness in Zion. We are praising him corporately together, and it's important. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, this is the very beginnings of the church, and it said, every other Sunday once a month, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. No, every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the early church. And by the way, they were still, most of them, still going to synagogue. They were still going to the Saturday Jewish synagogue celebrations. And then on Sunday, they'd go to church. And then every day, they would meet together in the temple courts. I'm not saying we have to meet together every day, but surely we can do once a week. Do you know that in the American church, a regular church attender is someone who's considered to go to church only once a month? That is as regular as it gets. Again, I'm not getting legalistic about it. I get it. There's stuff to do. It's a long drive. There's sports. There's home. There's family. I get it. But in our family, actually, in our family, as a kid, and now as an adult with kids, church has always been a major priority for us. In fact, if I'm looking at my schedule for the week, other than my time with God, church is a priority. So we schedule things around the gathering together. And I promise you it's not out of legalism. When I was a teenager, probably was, because I still wanted to live in my parents' house. But you know, I found that when I went to college and I had the choice for it, whether to go to church or not, I wanted to. I wanted to. And sometimes I see parents that go, will you help me with my kids? They they don't want to go to church anymore. And I'm like, well, it was so optional for you early in their life because you let everything else get in the way of it that when they're older, of course they're going to want other options because that's what you've exampled to them. God, my parents didn't make church an option for me. I'm not sure my kids thank God that church isn't an option for them yet. But they love it. They love it. Church was every day. Yes, you can worship God anywhere, but that's not necessarily church. Does that make sense? I remember when I lived in, uh, gosh, I lived in Belgium for a year, and I couldn't find an English-speaking church, and I didn't speak Flemish well enough. I spent about eight months of, like, longing for Christian fellowship, longing for other believers to gather together with, but I just didn't have it, so I would do church in my house. I made do with what I had, right? 
And then I found an international church in, in Brussels about 20 minutes from my house. And I showed up to this international, definitely not spirit-filled church. And uh, I was the new person probably for the year. You know what I mean? And so you show up and we just began to sing hymns together. And man, whew, this was not the church if I had options that I would have gone to. But just to worship with other people and to realize you're actually part of a family. It was like Thanksgiving and Christmas and all those things wrapped in together. And I just was like, this is home. I'm so glad that I'm here amongst the believers again and gathered together again. And I was so grateful. I want to encourage you to stay spiritually healthy. Make church a regular thing. Okay. Number, I don't know what number we're on. Next one. Is this okay? It's not tough. All right. You, uh, you really need to pray and read your Bible yourself regularly. These are super simple, I know, but they're not. It's profound. You, me, need to pray and read my Bible myself regularly. There is no shortcut to this. Can I tell you that when my life gets busy, these are the two things that can go out really, really quickly. I'll just pray in the car on the way to the appointment. And then all of a sudden I find out when I get in the car, my phone connects automatically. Anybody's car do that? And whatever podcast I was listening to just comes up. So even the prayer time on the way to the appointment that I said I was going to have, I get stuck listening to a stupid cycling podcast. And then I get in the parking lot and I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I love you. That's enough. It goes so quickly. My Bible reading can very quickly become, I need a message for Sunday. I better get in the Word and find something if I'm not careful. And by the way, if that ever happens to me, you'll know it. You'll see right through it because you're spirit-filled believers, and you'll know, oh, that's prayerless preaching. We don't need any of that. Oh, Clayton just looked that up on Saturday night to preach that. We don't need any of that either. I say this is important because if you don't know the word for yourself, listen to this, you will be led astray. You can't depend on my Bible knowledge to help you in your situation. You can't depend on Romy's relationship with God or Sammy's relationship, God, or just hopefully I'll get a prophetic word on Sunday from somebody that'll speak to my situation. You need to be in the word yourself. It's the knowledge of the word, the accurate knowledge of the word that keeps us from being led astray. But by the same token, if you don't know Jesus personally, you won't hear his voice. I know people that go from conference to conference trying to get a word from God. I'm like, you know, he can speak to you, right? The conferences are great. I believe in the prophetic. But I want to hear him for myself. You can, but not if you don't know him personally. Like there needs to be an intimacy that's developed with him for you to be able to hear him. So I make sure to take time every single day, and this is how I do it to build a relationship. This is the way I think about it. I'm going to be intentional, intentional about taking time to cast my thoughts and my affections on Jesus. I cast my thoughts and I cast my affections on Jesus. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Truth is, a healthy spiritual life, it requires devotion. It requires devotion. They devoted themselves. I want you to learn how to, develop, how to devote yourself to a healthy spiritual life. 2 Timothy 2.15 do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, 
a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Do you know how I know when I'm not really in the word? It's because my life is full of godless chatter. Godless chatter, by the way, isn't just like gossip. It's just talk that never involves God. Like Jesus never comes into the conversation. It's always about sports. It's always about the weather. It's always about something else. If uh, <laughs> Romy showed up to youth the other night, and there's all these teenage girls that are there early. Now, in most people's minds, if you're ever to think of a, a room full of godless chatter, it would probably be a bunch of teenage girls. But Romy said, I showed up, and these girls have their Bibles out, and they're just talking about what they've been reading and learning in the Word. Not because it was assigned to them to do. That's just their chatter. That's not godless chatter. That's just their conversation. They're praying and believing God for miracles for your kids. And they're spending time in the Word. I was blown away by that. I don't know a lot of youth ministries that have been like that before. But it makes me realize we've got some spiritually healthy young people. And I thank God for them. And I want to be spiritually healthy. Last one. We'll end with this one. I'm trying to find a really nice one, but this one's kind of hard too. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm literally like, no, no. Oh gosh, they're all. All right. Be willing to accept that the spiritual diet you grew up on may actually be wrong. This is a tough one. Traditions run deep. I'm, I'm a southern boy. I'm from the south. We don't have the healthiest diet. But boy, stuff tastes good. Biscuits and gravy. How many of you ever, I don't even know if this is southern. How many of you ever grew up with cream chip beef on toast? Anybody ever had that before? If you're in the military, that's called. No, we won't. We won't. SOS. SOS. Anybody know what SOS is? Yes. All right. My dad made it all the time. All right. I love that. That was my favorite thing in the world to eat. And then I looked up what chip beef was, and I was like, oh, my gosh, how am I still alive? Not to mention the cream. But, Mama, it was good. Cream chip beef on toast. Do you still make cream chip beef on toast? I can taste it right now. It's so salty, it'll suck every bit of moisture out of your body. <laughs> but it is good. It is good. But when I became an adult and had to cook for myself, I had to relearn what good food was. Because good food to me was not the healthiest food. My mom cooks great. She's not. Right. But you've got to relearn stuff. You're like, man, I'm actually a professional athlete. <laughs> I can't eat cream chip beef on toast every day. I love my mama, but my pregame meal in high school was whatever she picked up from McDonald's on the way home. So I'd eat like a nine-piece McNugget, 
a Big Mac, fries, a giant Coke, and then go play basketball. But when you're 17, man, you can play on anything. Any fuel, any fuel will work for you. But when you're 24, that doesn't work anymore. I'm like, I actually have to relearn what good food is. What I thought was good before, because it tasted good, was not actually good for me. Sometimes we end up on a spiritual diet that sounds good, it tastes good, it, 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 it's kind of like, yeah, that, yeah that's, that's, that's logical, that's reasonable, that's, that makes sense, but it's just not good. It's not true. You have to relearn what good spiritual food is. I think this happens because most people find out that you believe things not because you read it in the Word, but because someone taught it to you. You know, we have a lot of second-hand Bible scholars in the world. They listen to all the podcasts, they listen to all the preaching, and they just repeat what they've heard, but there's actually not actually looked. <laughs> Look, I've heard some really great preachers that preach stuff, and then I hear it again and again and again. And back in the old days of tape series, you see just a, let's call it something different, but it's the same message over and over again. I'm like, you know, that one was wrong, right? but it just kept getting repeated. And if something gets repeated long enough and enough times, it must be true, right? And it becomes this kingdom conventional wisdom, but it's not true. It's not actually right. And so I realized it in my life when it comes to my spiritual health. I'm not saying everything I learned was wrong, but I have to be willing to accept that maybe some deeply held beliefs are not accurate. And I got to let God do that work in me. And study to show myself as one approved. To be spiritually healthy, you have to be able to accept some things you thought to be true, but actually are not. You do understand that they rejected Jesus because he didn't fit what they had been taught the Messiah was supposed to look like. It was in Isaiah. It was in the Bible. I mean, there's plenty of prophecies, but that's not what they were taught. Because they took a version of it and created this image of the Messiah it was not totally inaccurate. They just got their eschatology wrong of when he was going to do what. But because they were taught it's got to look like this, and it didn't look like that, they rejected him. Instead of going, but I see this, the power. I see that if people are being delivered by demons by Jesus, just the authority of his own name, and nobody else has ever done that, and that's the biggest mark of the Messiah, then maybe I should go back and revisit my belief system and the way I thought about this. You might think that's crazy, but some reject Jesus today because a woman's preaching. Women aren't supposed to preach. Why do you think that? I've had to confront that one a number of times. And I don't just go, you're wrong. I go, why do you believe that to be true? What you'll find is they just come out of a long tradition that says that women are supposed to remain silent in church and have their heads covered, because that's what the Bible says. But they don't even actually know where that is in the Bible or know it in context. And so they realize that what you have believed to be true was a wrong application of something. So I don't want you just to believe differently because you're now in a place that believes differently. I actually want you to read in Scripture and find out for yourself why that's not necessarily the case. Does that make sense? I don't want people just to adopt another belief system. I want the belief system to actually come from the Word. Mark chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus challenged that thought process. 
because the disciples weren't washing their hands before they eat. Look, I think that's kind of gross too if you don't wash your hands before you eat. If you come to me, Mr. Schwarmas, I'm going to wash my hands because I shook half your hands on the way here and hugged the other half. I'm going to wash my hands before I eat. So there's a part of this, it's like, I think the Pharisees had a bit of a point here because they were upset because the disciples didn't wash their hands before they eat, but this was a ceremonial washing. It's a little bit different. And then Jesus said, thus you nullify the word of God by the tr your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. You see, what the Pharisees were insisting the disciples do, would, were, were supposed to do had nothing to do with what God had told them to do. It's their own tradition that they had handed down. But they were no longer able to separate their tradition from the instructions that God actually gave them. It's important that we know the difference. 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This may shock you, but there's some messages that I preached years ago that I've deleted from everything I have. Because it's wrong. I just realized maybe I've grown in something. It's not heresy, but it's something that I just, as I studied more and, and, and got into a bit more of the Word and in my prayer time, I realized, ooh, man, that's actually not, I think that missed the point here. I think that's a little bit off. And I just went, ooh, I just saved my hearers. Because I'm no longer preaching a message that isn't as true as I thought it was. And what I preached was probably something I just heard somebody else preach. And I read the verse and went, oh, that sounds great. That's communicated well. That's a strong point. I'm going to do that. And then actually I dug into it and took the time to study and learn. and went, ooh, wait a minute. Maybe that's not right. I had a friend that used to tell me one day. He was actually an elder at another church. And he said, I don't think God really cares why you give. He just cares that you do. And it wasn't like a tongue-in-cheek. And I went, no, God actually really really cares why you give. In fact, it's a more important issue than what you give. And I realized, you think Jesus thinks that way, but it's actually the way your pastor thinks. And that's what he's been teaching. And you've adopted that as if it's what Jesus said. But Jesus actually said that he wants you to give not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Actually, Paul said that. For God loves a cheerful giver. So, yes, you are to give, but you are to give cheerfully. So, if you're coming to God going, here's my tithe. He's, he's like, keep it. I want a cheerful giver. Well, 10% to the nose. Oh, you should give according to what's in your heart. So, you have a 10% heart? Is that, 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 is that all I am to you? Well, the law says, no, actually understand what God says about those kinds of things. This man couldn't distinguish between what his pastor had been saying and what God actually said. I'm telling you that for me. Don't take my word for it. If you hear me say something and the Holy Spirit is like, hmm, or you want to go look in the word to discover it for yourself, and you discovered, actually, I think Clayton may have gotten that a little bit askew. Make sure you post that on Facebook so everybody else knows. <laughs> but you got to know, like, I, I'm a teacher. Teachers hate inaccuracy. Like, I would want to know. Drives Rummy crazy. 
I was like, anything in that that you, yeah. She's like, it was fine. There was this one little thing. No. I don't want you to just take my word for it. The Bible says, test the spirits. And I want you to test and make sure. So when I'm giving you all these scriptures, go back and look them up yourself. It'll help. That's it. I'm done. I knew I wouldn't get through all 10. I might do some of these tonight, and I'll try to add a nice one in here at some point in time. <laughs> one of the things I get asked all the time is, is uh, hey, I, I want to get healthy. I want to get physically healthy. How do I get started? Like, where, where do I start? I, I was healthy at one point. I'm talking about physical health. They're like, I, I was in shape. I was eating good. And I just, it went off the rail. How do I, how do I get started? I'm going to talk about that a bit tonight. Is how, do you, how do you kick off this spiritual health? How do you, how do you go from the decision of, you know, for, for many it's like January 1st, the New Year's resolution thing. But I just, I decided I want to be healthy on the inside. How do I get started? I'll share a bit of that tonight at our leaders meeting. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.